Okay, that's enough of that. Welcome to Hand of Pod, uh, episode, I can't remember how many. Um, the reason that you just heard my own unique mouth rendition of the theme tune is that uh, I'm still in England and realised when we got together to record this that I haven't brought the music files with me on my computer. Uh, so I apologise to Nick, whose composition the theme tune is, for murdering it just then. Um, but here we are. I'm Sam Kelly, and I'm joined this week by the wonders of Zoom, by Andres. Hello, welcome. And English band. Now, that was beautiful, Sam, I must say. Absolutely astounding. Thank you very much. Um, Hello, everyone. Obviously, we're going to have some uh, worse sound quality, even than normal. There you go, I've thrown that one in for those of you who complain about it all the time, uh, because none of us are recording with our preferred microphones and also i'm sitting in a very very boomy uh back room in my parents house at the moment to record this but the good news is that this episode isn't going to be lasting for very long we're planning two fairly short halves i think depending on what zoom allows us to do with its um time schedules and the reason that we're recording this week is that we've just had the round of classicals and so dan kind of read my mind actually just uh Perhaps 12 hours before I was going to message him, he messaged me last night to say, hey, Sam, what would you say to recording this week? And I said, yes, let's do that. So, um, I mean, you've got to say, what a professional. I mean, you'd have thought I just wanted to put that last weekend out of mind, but the job comes first. Our duty is Argentine football podcasters has to come first. Indeed it does, yes. So the results just from this last weekend, I'm not going to go through all of the results in the Copa de la Liga since I came away, don't worry. Uh, were Tigre nil, Vélez nil, if just sort of a Clásico. Arsenal won, Defensa y Justicia nil, which is not as far as I'm aware a Clásico at all. San Lorenzo won, Huracán won, which is a Clásico. Central won, Newell's nil, very much a Clásico, as is Racing Independiente, which was 2-0 uh, to the awaiting Independiente, which is what Dan was just alluding to, of course. Uh, Banfield in the Clásico del Sur beat Lanús 1-0. And Lanús had two men sent off, it says here. River got a 2-0 win over Boca. Colón and Unión drew 0-0, as did Estudiantes San Gimnasia and Tachere San Belgrano. Barracas Central versus Sarmiento, not a Clásico, ended 1-1. Godoy Cruz versus Instituto. You can tell Instituto drew the, the short straw of the three quarter of clubs there. Uh, because that's not a Clásico either, drew 1-1. And Atlético Tucumán versus Central Córdoba and Platense versus Argentinos Juniors, the latter of which is a Clásico, both ended 0-0. Now, I have seen no Copa de la Liga at all, apart from approximately the middle half, if that makes sense, uh, of the Super Clásico on Sunday. Um, by the middle half, what I mean is that I tuned in about 20 minutes in and then watched until there were probably about 20 or 15 minutes to go. Uh, so most of this first half of the episode, in fact, most of the episode, really, is going to consist of you two telling me what happened. Um, the big result of the weekend just gone, obviously, was, e- even in a weekend full of Clásicos, uh, was Boca nil, River 2. I had been uh, under the impression, based on the headlines, which is all I've really been following, that... Uh, River were really in trouble and way down the table and everything, but it turns out that they're second in Group A after that win. And Boca are uh, 11th in Group B. Andres, um, why, why were the headlines so much crueler to Martin Devicelis and River before that match uh, that it turns out was merited? Um, well, it was really tough for, for Devicelis as uh, there were some problems that perhaps you may not know uh, between him and the main, uh, I mean, the other players in the, in the squad. And so Perez, for example, uh, Jonathan Maidana, or, or even Milton Casco, who apparently he told some journalists that uh, they, especially them, will, will not be uh, taken into account in 2024. And he came from Germany, where apparently there are some 
some, well, you tell something to a journalist and you say, you think that that journalist won't then say that to the players, or in this case, it happened. Uh, and uh, that made the, 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 the things in the dressing room a bit like, uh, well, not so good. Uh, as River was not used to that because even when they were, they were having problems when Lachardo was in the bench, those problems weren't in the, in the media. Well, in this case, was uh, that uh, conversation between him and the, and the journalists made, though that's more important even than the team in the, in the, in the, in the matches, which, by the way, wasn't so good at that time. Uh, it, it wasn't that they lost uh, five matches and they played awfully. They played awfully in two or three matches, especially against Vélez and Banfield, uh, away condition. And uh, so that, that made that this match against Boca turned to be more important than it was. It, it, it really is, but uh, because of that, it was even more important for them. For the Michelis and well, and the players, uh, and fortunately, fortunately, it was good as, uh, especially for the Boca, uh, the decision of Almiron of of, of uh, uh, making uh, jumping to the match a, a team which was totally uh, uh, made of substitutes, and uh, of course that has an explanation, which is that they have had uh, the first uh, leg of the semi-finals of Copa Libertadores three uh, days before, and uh, in two days' time, they will have the second leg. Uh, but, well, that was taken, uh, that advantage was taken by River, which was a normal, a, cor a correct team, decent team. It wasn't like that they were, uh, for example, the, the team that played, the, the, that won the, 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 the league uh, two, two months before. Uh, it was a team that, uh, well, they, they, the players play uh, uh, Pass the ball to the to their teammates. As simple as that. And Boca was totally uh, out of. of uh, I mean, it uh, wasn't focused. They weren't uh, uh, in the match at all. And well, uh, uh, that meant uh, that uh, now the Michelin has a lot more of more air, and, and it looks like the players are are with him again. And well, and all of the all of the uh, this storm is now on the side of Almiron because well. What, what I told you, uh, uh, he will play for semi-finals of Copa Libertadores, and uh, uh, apparently the rumors, like, well, it's uh, the rumors that uh, are all the time in Argentinian media, say that uh, if Amiron doesn't uh, win the, that that uh, uh, draw against uh, Palmeiras, they, they will they will be out of Boca. Yeah, which would seem to be in keeping with. How Boca tend to approach the Copa Libertadores, and indeed, you know, their managers generally. Anyway, um, another thing, one thing that I didn't just note but actually saw happen uh, was that Salomon Rondon has pulled you even further ahead in your bet with uh, Dan because he scored yes. a goal. And yeah, I think that covers. I, mean, I think that competition's over. Right, to be honest. Right? <laughs> um, for to well, not, to Super Classico, Enzo Perez hit a. David Cutter from outside the box and it bounced off Solomon Rondon, who did not know very much about it, to open the scoring. Um, Dan, another Classico that ended in a 2-0, in fact, the other Classico that ended in a 2-0 away win at the weekend, um, was the one that I am sure you watched all of. So how did that go? Yeah, I mean, I can only say I'm grateful to Boca because... The brilliant thing about losing the day before Boca loses Super Clasico is that your defeat just absolutely disappears from the news cycle. No one even remembers that game even existed, which is what I would really like to do. Um, just really, really uh, gutless, apathetic performance from Racing. You know, who went behind two minutes into the game with like this the stadium still buzzing after the players came out, loads of blue and white smoke coming onto the pitch. It was all great fun and just Racing doing that kamikaze, kamikaze thing they've done all year of, you know, defending man-to-man -man on the halfway line with not particularly pacey defenders and then kind of being surprised that it doesn't work out. Um, 
And then just, you know, having a lot of possession all through the game and but not really doing that much to suggest they could get back in, suggest they, they could get the equaliser, not creating quality chances, not pinning back independiente enough in their area, um, just really nibbling around the edges. And then again, looking so vulnerable every time, you know, a halfway decent team, which independiente were at least for 90 minutes uh, on Saturday, they just looked so up for it. They just really, really wanted that win, you could tell. Um, and then the game was just ended in the last few minutes with um, a stupid, stupid penalty. And with it, probably Fernando Gago's um, Racing career, because you think, you know, a 1-0 defeat with um, with Racing kind of pushing, albeit unsuccessfully, to get it back throughout the game. He probably could have rid ridden that out. 2-0, the stadium absolutely in uproar. Team bus getting pelted with stones after the game. Uh, it really kind of sealed his fate, I think. Um, which is funny because you look at the table and Racing are actually still top of, of Zone B, weirdly enough. But it was that kind of, you know, as I say here, a, a Saka Tecnico game, a, a coach-killing game. Uh, very, very difficult to survive that. And he didn't. Um, just really bad loss for Racing and... You know, I've always defended Gago. I think on balance, he's done a really, really good job in his almost two years. But it's just just a tough game to ride out. And you can understand why he hasn't. Uh, any likely replacements lined up already, Done? Have we heard any names? Or I have. Um, the early favourite appears to be uh, Guillermo uh, and possibly also Gustavo Barrosiquiloto, um, recently freed from their um, Paraguay bond, of course, or uh, backslash sacked after doing really, really badly. Um, the other name that's come up, which is kind of interesting, is the Independiente del Valle coach, Martin Anselmi, who's obviously done a fantastic job out there and their. Um, uh, just been really, really strong in Ecuador and and in the continental play over the last few years. And the third name is Gustavo Alfaro, another recently unemployed um, international manager, in his case with Ecuador. Um, for now, we will have a double act of Ezequiel Videla and Sebastian Grazzini, who's who Andres, I reckon more than Sam might remember, one of those kind of very elegant, very fragile number 10s that every single Argentina team by law had to have from about 2000 to 2010. Um, they will be probably taking it through to, to the end of December. And then one of those names I mentioned, or probably or possibly someone completely different, will then be taken over. And uh, looks like, go on, address. Yeah, it looks like Racing is looking for former Boca players or, or coaches because uh, uh, it was well, Gago, then now is one of the candidates is Guillermo Barros Caloto, Alfaro, who was a coach, of course, not a player. But I was uh, thinking of not, uh, this name is not in the uh, board members' uh, uh, table, but uh, Rodolfo Barrena, for example. Is, I think in Saudi Arabia or one of those countries, and he's not thinking even of, of coming back to Argentina. But uh, uh, I, I imagine the Racing uh, directors of, of uh, coaches or, or former players that were at Boca. And it's a tactical error because everyone knows that Racing only win the league when they have ex River favourites as their, as their coach. Uh, Mostaza Merlo, Diego Coca, um, Chacho Caudet. So, I don't know. Someone hasn't read up on wrestling history. Um, joking aside, it kind of shows just how bad, you know, things have been for wrestling um, above Gago's pay grade, let's say, uh, just in kind of the transfers in putting together the squad. Um, this squad, you know, had potential at the start of 2023, you know, just come off coming uh, second in the league, 
where no one really expected it, you know, largely thanks to Gago and just getting the best out of these players and just error after error in the transfer market, which basically left Racing without uh, a proper centre-half to go next to sit next to um, Leo Siali without a number nine, just holes all around the field um, with about five right-backs or six right-backs in the squad. Um Whoever takes over, you know, that's something they're going to have to grapple with. And I know um, Seba Garcia, of course, uh, to us, and I think whenever he has been on the podcast, been very vocal about it, um, the problem definitely kind of supersedes the role of coach and won't be changing anytime soon. So I think whoever does come in, it's just going to have to make do with the very unbalanced, very weirdly shaped squad that uh that in the end took down Gago. Yeah. Um thanks for that, Dan. I also did I, I feel like we should mention because I mentioned a few minutes ago that River is second in group A and Dan has obviously mentioned that Rassing are top of group B. Uh we should mention that Rassing's um vanquishers at the weekend, the Independiente, are top of group A. Um hmm. albeit somehow having only scored eight goals in seven matches. Uh, which, when I see that River scored 14 goals in seven matches um, and conceded eight, is quite something. Independiente, in fact, are the lowest scoring team in the top six of their group, but they are top of their group. Um, and, I think, and I think that makes it now four wins and two draws in the league under a certain Mr. Tevis, who is shoving his detractors, detraction this. Right down their throats. Of course, yeah, because uh, the first, the opening... Oh, my computer just... My, my phone has switched over to battery-saving mode and all the colours changed. Um, but, yeah, the, the opening match, which was the 1-0 defeat to Colón, which I think was the day before I left. I think I, I, I watched this one. was under Sialinski, and then Tevez came in immediately after that, didn't we? Did we never talk about Tevez on the podcast? I think we did. We, we mentioned that he was coming in. Ah... Uh... Uh, I'm oh, sure no, we we all predicted we all predicted what's, four wins and two draws. What's happened sure. is that uh, what's happened is that I've misremembered the date that I left. We did it about uh, after that column loss, and then I left the following week. Uh, ah, yes, on the day of, yeah, I think on the day of Venus, of Independiente's win over Venice, uh, which um, was the first match under Tevis. Uh, so yes. I was, in fact, largely oblivious um, to this form. They have gone out the Copa Argentina. In, the, in that time as well. Uh, uh, it looks like on penalties against Estudiantes after a 1-1 draw. But a very good start in the league. Um, Zoom has just informed me we have 10 minutes left. It's now only nine in this opening half. So before we get cut off, I'll just uh, run down the other sort of main standings for the Copa de la Liga. Independiente, as we've just said, at top of Group A with 14 points. River, Huracan and Colón all have 13. And it is the top four in each group who will go through to... Uh, quarterfinals. Um, following them are Tacheres and Argentinos within 11, so they're two behind. And we're well, just about halfway through um, the group stage now, I guess, aren't we? Seven matches played and there are 14 teams in each group. Um, in Group B, Racing atop with 12 points, nine goals for and eight conceded, and yet somehow they've managed to win significantly more than they've lost. That's pretty good going. Um Belgrano second with 11 points, Sarmiento and Central Córdoba de Santiago del Estero um, are third and fourth. I wasn't expecting to see those team names all the way up there with 10 points each. Uh, Godoy Cruz, Defensive Noticias, San Lorenzo will have nine in fifth, sixth and seventh. Um, can either of you fill me in on what the relegation situation is looking like so far? Because there aren't very many matches of that left to go now. Absolute carnage, I think, is the best way to put it. Um, right now, after both of them drew, yes, because everyone drew at the weekend, uh, Vélez and Gimnasia remain tied for that penop, that second relegation spot, the first, of course, being doomed mm. Arsenal. Above them, Colón, Unión and Huracán all have 38 points. Uraca uh, Central Córdoba are just a touch above on oh. 39. And then Sarmiento Tigre and Banfield are 
drawn on 40, I think. So Central Cordoba and San Riendo in particular, having those absolutely storming 10 points from seven match campaigns in in Group B of the Copa de la Liga, are, mm. are very much saving themselves at the moment. I mean, it's not doing them any harm, definitely. Um, and you can see Independiente as well, as well have uh, rocketed out of it. They were tied at the bottom, I think, a couple of weeks ago. But thanks to Tevez's magic touch, uh, they're in mid-table in the, in the annual table. Good even... Theoretically, push nah, sort of Americana is gonna be difficult. They'd have to make up six points. Um but yeah, they're not much further away from Sort of Americana than they are from relegation. So agree. So a reminder that this table runs until round fourteen um of the Copa de la Liga group stage. So we will be back by the time things are decided. Uh we'll be back full time. I mean, because I'm gonna be getting back. Uh, with a couple of rounds of the group stage to go, which means that we will be definitely recording and actually giving you the run-in news. I'm just mentioning that now because I think there's a non-zero chance that this might be the only episode we record while I'm over here. Um, mm. Particularly now that I've realised that we don't have theme music, <laughs> uh, which is quite annoying. But um, yeah, it, it looks like that's going to go to the wire, though, those last few spots. I mean, None of those are teams, certainly during the first half of the year, who I was looking at and thinking, yeah, they, like, they can wrestle their way out of this. Um, but and the great are a very long way behind, aren't they? And the great thing is, um, most of those teams are clustered in uh, in Group A. So they've basically just been mm. playing relegation six-pointers between themselves for the last seven weeks or six weeks. It's been very, very, very savage there. Uh, yeah, fight amongst the bottom teams. San Riendo and Central Cordoba being the two exceptions, of course, and as I've said, they've kind of climbed out of it in quite spectacular fashion so far. Um, and, so that's interesting to see. Sorry, but in next season there will be only one relegation from the promedios from the averages and not from the annual table, right? I, I don't remember what whether we talked about that or, or not. I, I think it's probably best if we get to next season, about halfway through next season, when they actually make their minds up about that. Uh, I think that's fair, yeah. I, I don't know whether anything has been said or rumoured while I've been away, but um, the fact that they lopped off one relegation spot just a few months ago, after the season had already kicked off, uh, yeah, I don't think it would be wise to speculate even... Even if the speculation is based on what the AFA are currently saying is definitely going to be happening. Definitely yes. not. Um, so, yeah. Were there any other matches this weekend? Or are there any other storylines of the Copa uh, group stage so far that either of you would particularly like to tell me about? Well, we had San Lorenzo sealing their sixth draw in seven Copa de la Liga games. They're still unbeaten. Just uh, thanks to a 98th minute penalty from Adam Barredo, who then proceeded to allegedly take the piss out of the great Matias Cocaro. Um, he went over to the Huracan bench and pretended that he had a moustache, a moustache with his finger. Oh, wow. That, yes. Fighting talk in Cocaro's part of Uruguay, or so I've heard. And it did indeed provoke a big old fight, which led to Huracan's sole goal scorer of the day, Ignacio Poceto, getting sent off. And Barreiro, after the game, claimed it wasn't at Cocorro. He had a an uncle who had come down from Paraguay to see the game, and he also has a moustache. And apparently he was sitting just behind the Huracan bench, of course. And that's a sufficiently characteristic moustache. Um him to do that about, which yes definitely um, out. for those who haven't seen Cockerell's moustache uh, it's it's, yeah. definitely, it's a look <laughs> it is for, beautiful for a relatively young man uh, it's it's quite something yes. and speaking of looks the man with the classic most classic Argentine football look in the entire league uh, is now the hero of the blue and yellow side of Rosario because Ignacio Malcora, uh, 36 years young, sprung up in the 86th minute, uh, gives Central the lead. 
uh, and a 1-0 win indeed over Newell's. And that led to several members of the Central Institution, including coach Miguel Angel Russo, um, led them to go and get manicures because apparently that was part of a bet they had or something. But anyway, Miguel Angel Russo took a photo in a nail salon after the game, getting a, getting a mani. Magnificent. Right, we're going to have to take a half-time break now. When we come back, we're going to talk briefly about the Copa Libertadores semi-final that Boca are going to be playing in a couple of nights' time. And then we're also going to talk a little bit about the national team because they have played some matches while I've been away and they're about to play some more matches in the defence of their World Cup title. So here's the half-time theme music. Welcome back. We're going to try and whip through all of this very quickly before Zoom cuts us off again. So here we go. The two Copa Libertadores semi-finals are level after the first leg. Fluminense versus Internacional finished 2-2 and Boca versus Palmeiras finished 0-0. The second legs are going to be taking place in the next, uh, hmm, well, with the time zones now, I'm not used to dealing with this, but in the next few days, uh, 40, 52-ish hours or something like that, uh, Inter versus Flu is on tomorrow night, Argentine time, and Palmeiras versus Boca is on Thursday night, Argentine time. I think the dates are obviously showing a bit differently because I'm in a different time zone from normal. Um, gents, what was Boca versus Palmeiras like? Was that as much of a thrill fest as uh, I imagine it was? Boca were a little unlucky, to be fair. Um, they went for it definitely more than Palmeiras, who, when it comes to just playing horribly negative football against evenly matched opponents, are right up there with Boca as the best exponents in on the continent. Uh, they just couldn't quite get the goal. And um, fun facts, that is now, if I remember rightly, 11 winless matches for Boca in um, in Libertadores knockout play, stretching back to the semifinals of 2020. Wow. Sorry, I just had to unmute my microphone um, to give you a response there, but it's certainly very That's quite something. I'm considering they've gone quite, you know, um, they've actually played that many games while without winning. Um, it's quite an achievement, yeah. Yeah, yeah. I mean, they've reached, I guess you've got to reach at least the quarterfinal on each occasion to have played that many games in such a short space of time. Yeah. Good stuff. Uh, well done there. What would you put their chances at coming into the second leg. Obviously, they've just lost the Super Classico to River. Um, Andres was telling me before we started recording that Almiron's job, I think actually, no, we might have mentioned it on the recording earlier, uh, that Almiron's job is is potentially in the balance if they lose to Palmeiras. Um, I mean, they're going to do exactly the same thing as they've done in their two away legs today against Nacional and against uh, Racing. Uh not risk anything, make sure Palmeiras can't score. And if they have to go to penalties, hope that Sergio Romero once again is Superman. It's worked so far. Um, who's to say it won't work again? But, I mean, you're playing with fire, particularly, you know, from Amiron's perspective. Um, I completely agree with Andres that a classic of the defeat and Libertadores exit and really not playing any kind of decent football uh, would make it very, very difficult for him to stay in the job beyond the early hours of uh, Friday morning if uh, if they go out. Um, so perhaps that would prompt him to try and actually win a game in the Libertadores. But at the same time, it might just make him double down and make... Sure, it's an extra boring nil-nil draw. I guess we'll have to see on Thursday. 
Yeah, and of course, the risk of opening up too much is that if anybody can hit you on the counter attack in this competition, it's it's Palmeiras. It's Palmeiras. They are masters of it. Yeah. Yeah, the, so, the thing will be, I think that uh, uh, to see whether Palmeiras uh, makes something different than they tried uh, at the Monera, because I think it's a team. I think both Boca Palmeiras are even when Palmeiras appears as a better team because they. Uh, of their recent Copa Libertadores, they won uh, and that uh, that they do what is necessary to do. They don't do more than that. It's like if they did, uh, it was I think it was uh, shown uh, when they played against Mineiro that they uh, needed a draw and they drew. They needed to win one nil. They they won one nil. It's like that. And Boca is quite similar in the, in the fact that they don't do a lot more than they need. Uh, in the the thing is that in the first leg, Boca deserved perhaps they win. They played uh, quite better than they do, which is a lot because they usually you usually don't don't watch Boca play uh, great football. And in this case, they played better, but they couldn't uh, 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 translate it into goals. Uh, uh, so it will be hard for Boca to resist uh, Palmeiras if the if Palmeiras play like they shown. Uh, uh, in in previous uh, play matches in, in which they they needed to score, yeah. Watch this space, or I mean, don't watch this space because we won't be back next week. But uh, watch your local live score app on Friday morning or Thursday night, depending on which time zone you're in, uh, to find out what happens. Um, moving on swiftly to Argentina's defense of the World Cup trophy. It's started perfectly. Um, there have been two World Cup qualifying matches. Well, there have been 10 World Cup qualifying matches already played in South America, but two of them have been played by Argentina. And so far, uh, Argentina, like Brazil, have a perfect record. A 1-0 win at home to Ecuador um, through a goal from a little-known youth talent called Lionel Messi with 12 minutes to go. Um, was followed up by and in a way, I feel like this is almost better than winning the World Cup trophy itself. A comfortable away win in La Paz. When did that last happen? Never, I don't think. Uh, I certainly can't remember uh, Argentina winning Bolivia by by more than a goal. Yeah, it, Bolivia nil, Argentina three. Um, goals from uh, Enzo Fernandez. Uh, Sorry, I'm trying to get back to the details, page. Nicolas Tagliafico, very shortly before halftime. And Nicolas Gonzalez, uh, fairly late on. And a match that Argentina just... I have a feeling I watched this summer, or at least watched quite large bits of it. Uh, must have stayed up very late to do so. But I'm sure I remember bits of it. Um, Argentina dominated it, really, from, from start to finish as well. It wasn't like they hit them on the brakes. They, they just had much the better of the play. Um and, of course, most importantly of all, Alejandro Garnacho came on with five minutes left, replacing Nicolás González for his third cap for Argentina, which means he now can't be called up by anybody else. Excellent, sir. We're all very happy about that. I must admit, I couldn't watch either of the two games. I was in California for that weekend. Couldn't find any kind of... Uh, live feed or channel that which shows uh, South American qualifiers. But in my interest, you to know that I did meet, um, and Andres, I guess, yeah, that I did see uh, Messi's boss in the flesh, which was quite exciting. Oh, well. Um, which uh, that was, respective restaurant was this at, then? No, this was on the Hollywood Walk of Fame, where David Beckham was... Uh, giving an introduction to what, uh, yeah, Puerto Rican salsa king Mark Anthony, uh, who was getting a star. I think, I, I, as a big salsa fan, I would take exception to referring to Mark Anthony as a salsa king, but um, I, I didn't it, know they were messing with him to salsa. I didn't know he was friends with Mark Anthony, to be fair, or, or spoke um, Spanish. No, he did it, he did it in English. Um, uh, so yeah, that was that was quite exciting. I must say, um, Beckham just 
seems to get better with age, like a fine wine. He is looking splendid. The uh, the bi-coastal life really, really suits him. Um, a, a towering figure of a man. Um, so, yeah, that was fun. Glad to hear it. Andres, did you watch either of those matches? Well, yes, I don't remember every detail, of course, but uh, uh, against Ecuador, uh, yes, uh, even when the team has already learned to play without Messi and the proof was against Bolivia in the past, where Messi was with some pain and, and couldn't uh, play the match, and he's still with that pain, and he's not playing for Inter Miami. Um, uh, he, he rescued Argentina from the draw and scored a brilliant uh, free kick. But the team wo uh, wasn't uh, that bad, but uh, it was an uncomfortable match uh, because Ecuador, when Ecuador had the, the chances, they weren't so dangerous, but they advanced in the... In the uh, uh, and, and it was this, that feeling of that they could harm Argentina. If, in the end, it wasn't like that, but uh, Argentina uh, ended with that... Uh, tight win, but against Bolivia in La Paz, they really played like a world champion, even when Bolivia is perhaps the worst Bolivia in a lot of time. Uh, that they, they can't win in La Paz and they can't play in La Paz because Argentina, were well, some players from Argentina that uh, looked like they, they, they were used, uh, used to play there, uh, like Enzo Fernandez, for example, and Andy Maria, like he always, uh, he always looks like he has a more uh, air than the than the other players, uh, and uh, and yes, it was. Uh, I think uh, in the overall, uh, you can say that Argentina were uh, they deserved the both both wins more, of course, against Bolivia, but but uh, it was really really uh, a good starting point for from them. And yeah. I think we have to we have to point out that. Um... These qualifiers should be an absolute cakewalk for Argentina. I mean, it's great to see, you know, an extra team or a couple of uh, South American teams at the World Cup. Um, I think we've all said at the time, you know, their performance and talent levels merit. But at the same time, it takes a lot out of this um, qualification process, I think, because you're at a stage where if Argentina pick up another perfect six points in their next two matches, which are at home to Paraguay, and away to Peru. Um, they're pretty much in, right? Um, you can almost start packing your bags for the United States, even four matches in. Yeah, you'd think so, wouldn't you? Just, just to remind everybody, in case you've forgotten or in case you're not aware of the exact situation with Conmebol qualification, obviously the World Cup expanding, um, means that of the 10 teams in Conmebol, six will qualify directly and seventh place will be the playoff spot. So whereas normally we have four and a half spots, this time around, we've got six and a half spots. Um, yes. And the one thing, I think the narrative that I'm going to try to pick up on, even though we're not a Venezuelan football podcast, is going to be, can Venezuela finally get there? Can can they make it 100% of Commonwealth teams having played at the World Cup? And they've not started too badly. They began with a 1-0 defeat away to Colombia, um, but they followed it up with a 1-0 win at home to Paraguay. And I feel like as you've just said, given the, the circumstances and given the uh, number of teams who are going to qualify, if Venezuela can not even win all of their home matches, because that's not going to happen, they're going to host mm. Argentina and Brazil, apart from anything else, so you wouldn't expect them to get six points from those two matches. Um, but if Venezuela can win more of their home matches than they lose, they've got a very real chance of actually getting over the line this time, particularly, as Andres says, with Bolivia um, really looking not very good at all. I mean, Bolivia lost 5-1 to Brazil in Brazil, which is fair enough, but then 3-0 to Argentina in Argentina and they norm in, in uh, Bolivia, sorry. And they normally make things look tougher than they did uh, in La Paz, at least. Yeah, I think this is the moment for Venezuela. You know, it's kind of the graduation of those really, really good under-20 squads they had um, during the, the latter part of the last decade. Plus, Bolivia being so bad as to pretty much hand them 10th place already. Paraguay look really, really quite bad, if not Bolivia bad. Uh, Chile, I don't think, um, have been able to renew their squad at all and are going to be struggling a lot. Um, so that, you know, almost by default, you know, you 
you finish above those three three teams and you've at least got a playoff. Um, they've just got to keep it, you know, keep it going, win most of their home games apart from against, you know, Argentina and against Brazil. Um, and they're definitely going to be there. Um, this is the chance for them to finally make it. And, and it'd be fantastic to see, definitely. I think they had a different, a better team in the in the previous qualifiers. Uh, if I am not wrong, they even defeated Argentina in a friendly three 0 could be. Yeah, yeah, they did. I, I, I can't yeah. remember whether that was in the the last World Cup cycle or the one before that. I think it might have been very early in, in the last one. Yeah. Mm. Um, and of yeah. course, they have beaten Argentina already. They, 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 so they've got that. Yeah. Um, you know, it, it wouldn't be the first time they've won. It would have to be only be the second time they've won against Argentina, but it wouldn't be the first. Uh, th- I guess the one concern is that the attackers aren't the youngest. I mean, the goal against Paraguay was a penalty from Salomon Rondon, the second time we've mentioned a goal of his um, in in this episode, and it only came in stoppage time. Uh, so th- there's, there's work still to do, um, and they do still have to, to find perhaps a slightly younger attacker who they can trust to start because Rondon's attacking partner is Jose Martinez who isn't a spring chicken himself admittedly he's not quite as old as Rondon he's only 30 but uh, still it would be nice if they could find someone in their 20s but I'm going to be keeping an eye on them their next two matches are away to Brazil and then at home to Chile Um, so three points is probably the most that they can hope for in that pair of fixtures but we'll have to wait and see. The current standings are Brazil uh, first on goal difference, Argentina second, both of those teams with six points. Colombia have four, Uruguay and Venezuela have three in fourth and fifth. Paraguay and Peru have a point each, are in sixth and seventh. And Chile also have a point, um, but have minus two goal difference, so are currently in eighth. Ecuador and Bolivia have both lost both of their matches so far although for some reason SofaScore is showing Ecuador's results as one win and one loss but zero points um, because they beat Uruguay 2-1 so ignore the standings I've just given you they're completely wrong, Ecuador have more points than that and therefore should be higher up the table not sure what's going on there SofaScore's just playing silly buggers um, Argentina's next two matches however because that's the important thing are against Paraguay on Thursday next week and then against Peru uh, on Tuesday of the following week. Uh, Paraguay is at home. Peru is away. Uh, 11 o'clock kickoff for that. Jesus. Yeah. Obviously, that's 11 o'clock when I'll say it's time. They're not kicking off at 11 o'clock in Lima. But um, yeah, I, I saw that one a couple of days ago and thought, ah, well, that's going to be one that I'm definitely not going to be staying up for. Apart from anything else, I'm going to be in mainland Europe, but it'll be difficult to even find somewhere to watch it. But it will also be even an extra hour ahead uh, for me at whatever time in the morning that's going to be. Um, have, has the squad been announced for these yet, gents? Or is there anything, like, do we have, is, is Messi playing, for instance? Do we know? Because obviously he's not been playing for it to Miami. I think Messi's out. Lisandro Martinez is obviously out. Um, Angel Di Maria is now a yes. doubt because he uh, he came off today in the Champions League against Inter with um, with an injury. Um, so a little bit of bones, but should be enough to get past Paraguay at least. I imagine I haven't seen a squad. I must admit, which is kind of odd considering the games. You know, in nine days, I think this rounds. Crept up on the AFA just as it's crept up on me, maybe. Yeah, I was wondering whether you'd heard something because, as I sort of hinted, I've only really been following stuff through the headlines on my browser. I haven't been following them religiously by every day by any means, but I kind of thought that I would have seen a story by this point about the announcement of the squad. Um, and indeed, I was uh, half paying attention for it because I knew we might be recording something. Uh, yeah. and I have just having. Uh, just having a scroll down the Selección Twitter page and haven't seen anything yet. We're down to 30th of September, still nothing. So it's usually two weeks, right? Like the cutoff. So you yeah, thought like it would that. come out. Well, it should be uh, No, that's women's youth games. 
I did find a squad, but it wasn't that. Uh, 28th. That is beach football. Um, you heard it here first, everybody. The reigning world champions are in institutional crisis or administrative crisis because they don't appear to know that there are matches coming up and haven't announced the squad yet. Um, no, no sign of the squad. Uh, on, the, I'm, on the plus side, as you say, the, should be fairly confident of some points from both of those matches. I mean, good. As long as they do get around eventually to naming a squad, otherwise it could be very awkward. But yes. let's let's uh, assume that they do at some point in the next nine days. Indeed. Um, so yeah, it will be interesting. Sorry, some, yeah, it, it will be interesting to to see what happens with, with Paraguay as uh, Daniel Garnero. I think he's the coach of both the national team and Libertad uh, at this point. And of course, it's. I think it will be really interesting to see what what happens with that. Oh well, so we have two current managers who are managing a club side and the national team in South America. Yes, yeah, yes. Denise, along with Denise, of course. Who, who had? I don't know whether either of you saw this bizarre, obviously false rumor that that went out a few days ago about how, <laughs> as well as managing Fluminense in Brazil, he was now also going to be managing Flamengo. Um, that was um, so stupid. But, what was that yeah. about? Well, the thing is, I can sort of understand how it came about as a joke tweet, but what I yeah. can't understand is that an awful lot of people just seem to take it at face value and believe it. But, you know, if the last decade or so has taught us nothing else, it's that there are some people who don't have any capacity for critical thinking and um, just something up whether something's obvious bollocks or not, I suppose. Yes, very true. So, yeah, the other matches in the South American qualification um competition that are coming up are next Tuesday um, Colombia versus Uruguay obviously Argentina versus Paraguay Bolivia versus Ecuador uh, could maybe be an interesting one I mean Ecuador obviously have a little bit more accustomedness accustomedness that's not the word are a little bit more accustomed to playing at altitude than most of Bolivia's other rivals Uh, Chile versus Peru and Brazil versus Venezuela and in round four, which will be on Tuesday the 17th, um, we have Venezuela versus Chile, Paraguay versus Bolivia, Ecuador versus Colombia, big South American Clásico, Uruguay versus Brazil, Ooh. and Peru versus Argentina. Uh, having said that Peru-Argentina is annoyingly going to be kicking off too late for me to watch. I'm kind of annoyed that Uruguay versus Brazil is also going to be kicking off too late for me to watch um, because that's always good fun, especially when it's in Montevideo. That's just one of the pitfalls of going to Europe, Sam, I'm afraid. Yeah, and and also for such a long time. It, it's, yeah. it's annoying. I mean, on the one hand, it's not annoying, but on the other hand, it's a little bit annoying when you realise you're missing lots of juicy <laughs> South American World Cup qualifiers, but at least I'll be there for the, the main bit yeah. of the campaign. I'll be back home for that. It was kind of fun going the other way and being in um, being being in Los Angeles because there you cut your three hours no four hours um, behind Argentina time. So that kind of World Cup qualifying round, the first one, like the results were just popping up at like three in the afternoon. It was brilliant. I didn't watch them, but it was nice <laughs> to know nice and early in the in the afternoon. Yeah, I, I always I feel like it misses something by not being late at night. I kind of. Obviously, I'm more of a night owl than most people, so in a way, I would mm. say this. But yeah, uh, on the plus side, I've just been watching Manchester United in the Champions League while having a couple of pints of cider. Obviously, on the downside, the defence played like absolute dog shit. But um, <laughs> that's that's not a matter for this podcast to worry about. Um, do we have any tidying up bits and pieces to talk about, gents? I'm actually not sure how long we've been recording for now. What else has happened? So this is the stage of the podcast where you ask what has happened yeah, aside from kind of the results when since normally, you left. Normally I would now be saying, here's where we go to listeners' questions. Um, mm. But I deliberately didn't ask for any listeners' questions this time around because there was going to be the risk having not recorded for such a long time that we'd be inundated and we actually wouldn't have time to get through them. Um, but can you think of any more kind of just general talking points, any funny anecdotes or anything? Well, do you want to do a Sam's questions? Just ask us random things that come into your head? See, the thing is, I've really not been paying much attention 
at all. Yeah. So I'm not sure. To even ask questions. Even, yeah. yeah, like I, I don't even know what my base level for asking questions would be. Um, <laughs> but let me just scan through and see whether on the La Nacion sports page, which I've got up here, any headlines? No, it's all about the Rugby World Cup, which I couldn't care less about. Um, yeah, no. what has Rugby World Cup? Messi. Um, Ariel Ortega apparently has scored a golasso in, in the senior category, uh, which has given River that particular title. So congratulations, River, there. Um, so yeah, I guess, so the main question would be to Andres about this story about Demi Cheney's complaining a couple of weeks ago, whenever it was, about some of the players for River and this getting leaked to the players and impressed. Do we know which players it was or anything? Or, I mean, how merited it was or what? Well, apparently he had an, uh, yes, an, an off-the-record uh, uh, talk with, with some journalists uh, from important media outlets. And uh, he, it was like, a, like a, 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 when you are drinking coffee with a friend and you tell him, look, I won't take into account Enzo Perez, Jonathan Maidana, Milton Casco, the, the, the bigger, the, the older players, uh, the, uh, the ones who have uh, several years playing for River. And he, he might thought that he, they, they would respect that uh, it was off the record and that, that, that it wasn't something to, to publish or, or, or to do anything with that. And those journalists apparently did just the opposite, which was to go and tell the players, look, the Michel has just said that you won't be in the squad in, 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 for next year. Uh, with three months or four months, because it was in August, uh, to go to for next year. So it was, I mean, a, bit, a mistake from the Michelis because he trusted in, in journalists which, who usually do these things of, of, of uh, making show of, 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 of this, uh, uh, these things. And uh, after that, Rio played awfully against PLS. Uh, losing 2 nil and playing the, the worst match uh, since the Michelis is in the bench. With the Michelis saying that that it was it had been the worst the worst uh, match since he he was there uh, and talking things publicly publicly that that they usually don't do. So uh, after that it was the, this mystery of what would happen if the, if River starts uh, uh, continues playing like this and losing well. This stopped uh, uh, this Sunday when River played better than than a, a really really uh, disconnected Boca that were thinking of, of Palmeiras and, and not uh, River, uh, and that was like uh, some fresh air for 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 the players and for for him. It was like well, this is good for the, for us to to leave that, those uh, uh, those uh, talkings behind. Those uh, I mean. Uh, fights behind and and we will see what happens if it really really it's really like that i guess my other question thanks andres would be um i'm just having a look now and looking at the stats of the copa de la liga so far to see whether i can get any inspiration and i noticed that joint top scorer uh well one of the joint top scorers is matias cocaro who we mentioned a little bit earlier uh of huracan and the other is luciano gondo of Argentinos, who previously was playing for Sarmiento, um, and I guess must have moved to Argentinos. Yeah, he did move to Argentinos, in fact, in July, um, and has six goals from seven matches so far. Which makes him the, the top scorer, if well, Pareto has five. Cocoro has, has six, apparently, though, as well. My list, my list has him on five. Oh, interesting. Okay, Sofa score reckons he's got six. But either way, Gondo is at least the joint top scorer. Um, and he's 22, and he's Argentine, and is by Argentine striker standards, very, 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 very tall. 189 centimetres. That's about six foot two or six foot three. Um, is this his, what I, if I were American, would want to call a breakout campaign? Um, or is he, in fact, just having a fairly good campaign and he's going to be overtaken by better players towards the end of the Copa de la Liga I mean I think I think he's been helped 
somewhat by playing in an Argentinos team which just doesn't seem to care if they can see goals as long as they score them. Um, they've been by far kind of the most entertaining team to watch in terms of, you know, having goals uh, in their games, 33 in total, 12 uh, uh, 12-4, 11 against, compared to, I don't know, to take a team completely at random, Instituto, who have had eight goals in that same seven-game stretch. Did I say 33 or 23? Because I meant 23. I think you said 33, but that, obviously in seven matches, that really would be. Yes. But 23 is impressive. Um, yeah, I see they yeah. had back-to-back 3-2 wins. Oh, no, they didn't. Sorry, they had back-to-back 3-2 scorelines. They beat River 3-2 in late August and then a few days later lost 3-2 to Abstinal. Mm. Uh, and then their next match, their next Copa de la Liga match after that ended 2-2 um, against Atletico Tucumán. So, yeah, it's, it's an impressive run. Indeed, yeah. Um, but, yeah, he's looked good on... Um, Absolutely positive by December. If he gets a few more goals, the big tug of war will be over whether Boca or River sign him, as always happens. And then he'll probably end up going to Portugal. I don't know. Um, speaking of, I was also looking at the top scorers' uh, rankings and a little bit further down, a name I think is very close to all of our hearts, Luis Miguel Pulgar Rodriguez. He's back and he hasn't missed a step, even after that horrific head injury. Um, he had a very nice welcome back to Atletico Tucumán at the weekend uh, during the quote-unquote Clásico, um, where Central Córdoba played away. Couldn't score them, but did pull off a delicious double nutmeg. Um, but he has scored... Three of Central Córdoba's six goals so far in their seventh game, seven games, uh, which has propelled them up to fourth in zone B. Um, seems like a bit of a, another Indian summer for Pulgar Rodriguez, who at 38 years old just keeps doing it, even you know after a serious head injury. It's really quite remarkable. Yeah, that's that's really good to hear, and obviously. Mm. Um... For those who have forgotten how he sustained that head injury, he had a horrific car crash and was found oh, yeah. by, by some passers-by wandering around asking people for help, seemingly unaware of who he was or what had happened or something on the side of the motorway. Um, and yeah, I, I don't know whether anything has come out about exactly what happened in that car accident, whose, fact, uh, whose fault it was or anything. Uh, I think he just lost control and, and rolled, to be honest. Yeah. Yeah, obviously, when I say motorway, some of our uh, European and North American listeners will be having in mind a road of considerably higher quality uh, than, than this no. crash actually took place. I've so driven that ride, fun. and I've driven that ride, and I can assure you, it's very, very far from a motorway. Mm. Yeah, national route, um, but very much not uh, in any way a main road. <laughs> Pothole pot shitty would probably be the uh, the more accurate way to describe it. But yeah, indeed. But yeah, it's, it's good to hear that he's doing better. Anyway, and, and, well, indeed, not not just doing better, but doing really rather well. Um, yeah, Chris. On that note, I think that I'm going to call time, gents, because Zoom is giving us a countdown. We have about six minutes left. <laughs> there's no point in stringing this out and just boring everybody. <laughs> uh, brainless just on the basis of eating up those six minutes what I will do is to remind everyone that while as I have said this might well be the only podcast that we record it might not be but it might be uh, the only podcast that we record while I'm away uh, I'm getting back in just over a month's time by the way um, you can if you're really starved of hand of pod action and really desperate to hear from us sign up for patreon.com slash hand of pod where you will be hearing from us because we've already recorded before i left we recorded a bunch of extra material uh especially for our patreon supporters um they have already had some episodes on the connections between scotland and argentine football that was uh, recorded to mark the fact that i went to scotland um and we've had one or two other subjects that i can't quite remember and uh because 
at the weekend, I'm going on a train odyssey around certain bits of northern and central, no, not central, just northern Europe. Um, you're going to be in for, in the next uh, couple of weeks, a series of episodes on the interactions between Argentine football and certain other countries um, in Europe. So if that sounds like your thing, please go over to patreon.com slash handofpod and sign up. And the really bad news is that after that, we occasionally remember to record extra episodes when I'm home as well, and you'll have to hear from us more even after the one-and-a-half-hour-long normal episodes that we record. Uh, but it's all appreciated. Thank you very much if you are supporting us already, and please go over and do so if you want to, um, to hear from us again. Uh, other than that, I can't think of anything else to say, other than sorry again for the relatively poor sound quality on this particular episode, but I'm sure everybody understands the circumstances. I'm away. We'll be back in one place very soon, or at least maybe not Maybe not the next episode, possibly the next episode, but certainly the episode after that. We'll be all recording around one table again with a couple of fairnets. And all will be well with the world. For now... Sounds fantastic. For now, thank you very much indeed for listening to us. And goodbye from Andres. Thank you. Goodbye. English down. Goodbye. And me, thank you, and goodbye. Da 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 da